This is Billionaires in Boxes, empowering one billion entrepreneurs, one podcast at a time. Hello and welcome to this edition of Billionaires in Boxes with me, your host, Phil Paluccia. I am mega excited to be introducing you to two very special guests today, Ken Cook and Steve Brosman, both on different sides of the world, de- both dealing with different time zones. Uh, we always have a chat in what I like to call the virtual green room beforehand, and you never know where that conversation is going to go. Ours went on to traffic circles, heat waves, and COVID injections. So who knows where this podcast is going to take us. Uh, Steve, welcome to the show, my friend. Well, I'm going to give it away. G'day, mate. How you doing? <laughs> you wonder which one's which. <laughs> yeah, really good. Thanks, buddy. Really good. Nice to have you here. Ken, how you doing, mate? Good. How you doing, man? Yeah, I'm good. I'm absolutely melting, actually. It's, the, it's like the three days of the year that the UK is quite warm. And uh, as you guys can testify, I appreciate the audience can't see me. I am absolutely melting on the other side of this microphone. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Look, you guys are, are both very good at what you do. I've been really looking forward to this podcast and bringing you both together because I think there's, there's going to be tons of value that we can share with our audience here. Loads of golden nuggets. But, Steve, I'll kick it over to you, buddy. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, I guess one of the most exciting things that's going to happen out of our chat today, mate, is I'm going to show or talk to the people about how they can actually attract the high-quality clients that they really want to work with, actually have them come asking to buy and be able to double their conversion rates even if they hate selling. Now, I guess that's just like uh, people now taking a Panadol and think, oh, my God, I can't wait for that. But, uh, yeah, big background. And what I'm teaching and what I'm going to talk to you guys about today is from real practical experience, not out of a theory box. And uh, next month, it's 38 years to the day since I've been an entrepreneur. So I've got a bit of history that I'm going to get across in the uh, in the next few minutes, mate. Congratulations, mate. 38 years. That's impressive. And uh, I know the quality of your work. We're actually doing some work together. So everyone's uh, doing for a real treat. And he's not joking when he talks to you about actually converting that and making them chase you. Uh, even if you're hating sales, yeah, you're going to want to stick around and listen to this because I imagine that most people listening to this podcast would love some more sales, but don't particularly want to go out there and, uh, you know, be the old 1980s cold call machine, smashing <laughs> the phones, doing all that nonsense. Uh, Ken, what about you, brother? Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my name is Ken Cook. I'm one of the uh, co-owners of The Prepared Group. And today, man, I think we're going to show you how how marketing is broken and how one little fix can double, triple, or even quadruple a company's revenues. And, and you know, we're, we're all about how is it that we can really build a marketing engine for organizations that takes them to exactly where it is that they want to go. Mm, I love that, man. And some big promises here. And I think, you know, uh, you and I have had this conversation off air a number of times as um, – it's one of those things, it's almost an afterthought and it really shouldn't be. Like if you build this thing with these systems and things in mind to begin with, life is much easier to scale. It's much easier to, to build it as a solid foundation rather than try and fit it in retrospectively. So hopefully we can give some golden nugs to big people for the next chapter of their business. Um, that Well, listen, we've guys, you want to stick around for the next hour because we're about to solve all your sales and marketing problems. What's left in business after that? Spending the money? <laughs> I can help you with that bit. <laughs> uh, so Steve, 38 years in the industry, brother, why don't you tell us a little bit about sort of where it began and, and how long you've been doing the work that you're doing today? Well, I never meant to be really in business or a uh, an entrepreneur. I was a professional track athlete and it's interesting that the Olympics are, are coming around now. 
that I was actually training for the Olympics uh, as a professional sprinter. Um, and I broke my back, crushed three discs. Uh, through rehab, I fell in love with the fitness industry and I looked at it and I thought, I could do this, I could do it differently. And so a, a brash young guy just got out and said, stuff it, I'm going to open up a health club, which I did. And then I started looking at the way that everybody was doing it. And so I really niched down into some quality areas. And everything that I did then is exactly the same as I'm taking through now. Pick an area that you know that you're good at, stand out in that particular area, become a leader in it, and then everything else is so much easier. So we set up programs. We franchised a kids' club into five countries, a weight loss program across uh, two, and then moved into um, out of the, the fitness industry, environmental, um, inv- invented an environmental product that we sold 4 million into 26 countries. So mm. taking all those learnings and packaging them up in a way that people could understand, real practical, yet yeah, these have been done. The interesting thing, is, as you guys that have been around business for ages know, is people and business really hasn't changed that much. It's all the tools and the toys, and that's where people get hung up. And it's like mm-hmm. the great thing that you've got mm-hmm. yeah. you know, Ken on here as well. I call myself the bookend, you know, get the – the positioning and the attractiveness of the person and the communication right and then help sell on the on the back end can provide the engine in the middle that just delivers the people so uh having the the two of us on is uh really going to be valuable for your people phil absolutely and you know what we've it's it's funny isn't it because i i thought i was literally having this conversation with just with somebody earlier today and i think some of my audience will have heard me say this before but it's getting that story right is so crucial because you know, when I say to people, can you name me like the number one personal development coach in the world, for example, most people are going to say Tony Robbins, right? And then if you say, well, who's the most successful marketer in the world? Most people are going to tell you it's probably Gary Vaynerchuk, right? But are they the most successful or are they just the most visible? Are they the ones that you see the most? So because you see them the most, the perception is that they must be the best and the most credible. And and I'm sure, Steve, this has been your experience too. If people don't put some time and effort into developing that profile and getting themselves out there, the best people often remain their industry's best kept secret. Like nobody knows that they exist. Yeah, well, I've got two things to say to that. And the first one, and if you're listeners are not driving, uh, write this down. Your perceived position predicts your profits. And Phil, you know I like my P's. Your perceived position predicts your profits. How you're perceived out there in the marketplace and your positioning will determine the type of people and how easy it is to attract them. The other thing is your communication. And that's the line between who you are and what you do and the people. And it's either coal or diamonds or somewhere in between. Now, Mm. coal is pretty ugly it gets there in the end and it gives off a bit of heat later on. Diamonds is immediately attractive, high value, high perceived value and everlasting. Mm. But it's basically just carbon. Mm. So your message could be either coal, what is it? Is it coal or diamonds? Do I have to really spend time to explain who I am, what I do, and sooner or later they'll think, yeah, maybe you're okay or is your message or your perceived position immediately high value and attractive? Now, and that's what we work with people to do is like, let's turn your, yeah, you know, let's turn your coal into diamonds with a little bit of heat and pressure. Mm, I love that analogy, dude. You know, I like a good analogy. <laughs> uh, Ken, what about you, my friend? Tell me where it all yeah. began for you. 
Uh, well, I, uh, you know, my first basically real adult job right out of college was at a 650 man marketing agency. And I ended up running one of their, uh, ultra high dollar, uh, web development and SEO departments after running, uh, working heavily in their AdWords and, and marketing strategy departments. And I actually had a client offer me a year's salary to start my own company. And that was, uh, just about a decade ago now. And here we are. Nice, man. I a like decade that later. So the prepared group, yeah. I mean, you, I know the work that you guys do, but for, for those people that obviously haven't come across you previously, you know, it, pre- even prepared marketing sounds good, but is this like forward planning? Is this more systems? I mean, what kind of aspects yeah. of marketing do you get involved in for people? So, so most people think marketing is advertising, mm-hmm. right? And, and maybe how do I get referrals? And that's the extent of what people think of as marketing. The reality is marketing is everything that interacts with your customer from how are you positioning yourself in the marketplace all the way through. How are we onboarding people? How are we building longitudinal relationships with people? Right. And ultimately, Mm -hmm. how are we driving scale and revenue in the organization? Right. There's actually a bigger trend going on right now where uh, CMOs are being replaced by CROs, chief revenue officers, mm-hmm. with the idea being that it's not it's not enough anymore to make nice graphics design and put it out there. Rather, what's important is how do we drive actual income into the business? How do we drive actual profitability? And so, what our focus is let, let me tell let me tell you a quick story, Phil. Mm. I had a client years ago, local guy, pest control company. We took him from doing about $300,000, and in about 18, 24 months, he was doing about $850,000. Now, they have an off-season in the pest control industry, as you might imagine, in the, in the heart of winter, and he brings me in uh, in February, and we sit down, and we're chatting. He says, you know what, Ken? Uh, you, we've, we've you know almost tripled the company, uh, but I got to let you go. And he didn't really explain it to me. And, and I thought about that for months. And here's what I realized. Mm. I built a massive front door for that organization. But in doing so, we built an equally big back door. Right. It's not enough as a good marketer to simply build a big front door for lots of people to come through. Mm-hmm. What you have to do is you have to figure out a way to shrink the back door as well. And really understand how is it that I scale up what's inside the organization, not simply throw a ton of people through it. I love that. The, and, and do you know what? And this again, you're both using good analogies. I like this. This is going to be one of those kind of podcasts I can tell. But um, I mean, one of the things that came out to me when you were speaking, and, and I could instantly see in, in my in my own space is. Uh, you know, talk about press coverage and media and this kind of stuff and, and visibility within new media, old media, whatever. The amount of times that I speak to people, and it's incredible how widespread this is, but the amount of times that I speak to people that were like, you know, I had this agency, this PR agency, and they got me in Forbes, but I never got anything back from it. Or they got me booked on like 50 podcasts, including the Dr. Oz show. So I reached like 300 million people and I never got anything back from it. And it's it's what you realize is that 
so many people are repackaging that vanity metrics thing. And I actually had this very conversation about a marketing agency with somebody literally a few days ago. And I said, you know, you really need to be clear on what's coming from your business and what's coming from theirs so you can get clear on what's working and what's not. And she said, the problem I have is every time I ask them about their work, they tell me how many likes and interactions it got. Mm, it's like, but yeah. are you paying them a retainer to get you likes on Facebook or are you paying them to get you clients? Because if you just want likes on Facebook, then you can probably buy them, to be honest. But if you're actually looking for results, then that's a that's you know you're talking two different languages you're talking how much revenue did you add and you're saying here's how many likes i got you yeah well i mean it was, it was in 2010 that mark jeffries wrote data-driven marketing that basically was the book of the year it was a shot over the bow at at this entire idea of vanity metrics as meaningful marketing mm-hmm. you know i i really think that gone should be the days where where a great marketer is the guy who gets an award from the marketing industry about how good his ad is. Hmm. Right? And that's the reality of this industry is that's been the case for a very long time. Hmm. And that needs to change. Kenny, it sounds like they were hiring the wrong CRO instead of a chief revenue officer. They should have been hiring the chief relationship officer. Then they would have needed two chief revenue officers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the thing is is so many people treat customers in a purely transactional way, mm. and they they have no meaningful business process by which to build relationship. Okay, now now think about this. You take a small hotel chain. Okay, they they don't have a huge footprint, but you you slap the name Ritz Carlton on them. Mm. What are they known for? Why did they get to be? The Ritz Carlton. Why did that become the standard mm. of excellence? It's because there was a public, uh, a, now a widely known, publicly made available policy. Any employee can spend up to $2,000 without question to fix a real or perceived guest problem. Mm-hmm. Right? And guess what? They do, and they have. But that, in reality, is $2,000 of marketing. It is not $2,000 out of operations. It is not $2,000 wasted as so many organizations think. It's rather $2,000 at a time that's made Ritz-Carlton the absolute highest end of five-star. Because you know you're going to get the Ritz experience. Steve, I'm interested in your opinion on this, mate, because obviously coming at this from a sales perspective as well and getting that that right. I mean, what Ken's talking about there, for a lot of people, they're like, well, hang on, I didn't even realize that's what marketing was. Do you consider good sales to be good retention as well? So this isn't just about getting clients through the door. This is about delivering a good service and keeping them. Or is sales all about, no, no, it's all about new business, new leads, new customers? Well, back in... Uh... 1983, <laughs> when I set up the health club, I had a, a, a philosophy that I put it right through all of my team that we're going to build this on referrals and retention. Now, we had nearly double the industry average of people staying with us. We had people, I kept the club before I sold it for over 10 years, and we had members that were there from the day we opened the door till the day we sold it. So we had a really high retention rate and because they were kept happy and they felt comfortable, safe, secure and got results, they were 
telling all of their friends. And we had a, a well-systemized way of being able to help them with word of mouth. Now, when you retain people, you retain them for a great reason. It's because they're happy and they're getting the results that they're paying for. It's interesting that I've added that on, on both ends of the spectrum. And the big thing that I'm working with people on now is how to create a relationship and how to increase the buying energy even before you get to talk to them. So by getting your positioning right out there, by infusing the right information and messages, by cultivating them, as I say, adding the water, the fertilization, the nourishment, and also pruning the people that are coming through. By the time they actually get to talk to you, they know who you are, what you do, a taste of your personality, and they're coming to you thinking, this is a person I really want to work with. Mm. So it doesn't just start when the sale starts or the the journey, the relationship journey starts way back from the minute they first see you. And that's not the vanity metrics that uh, you guys were just talking about then, the clicks or the likes. Is how do I get mm. to really know this person and make yourself available through your information so they can actually have a taste of you or a taste of your company? And that takes them all the way through and it knocks out everybody else in the competition because they're not doing that. They're, they're as you said, they're very transactional. But if mm. you spend the time at the beginning of the journey and at the end, and in my first book, which was called Stand Up, Stand Out or Stand Aside. I actually wanted to call it Be Different or Bugger Off, but um, my <laughs> wife who's an Amazon guru said, no, you can't do that. But that that's what it is. And I said that uh, spending time, effort and money, not quite to the level that Ritz Carlton did, on customer experience, not just customer satisfaction, but a high level of customer experience is a valid form of marketing. I wrote that 10 Keep years ago. And that is exactly what you're talking about, Ken. How can we really engage with that per person and keep them coming? But not only that, provide such an awesome experience, but they just can't help but talk about you. Mm, I love that. Look, I, I'm curious. How often do you come across people then? Give, I mean, we'll go back to the analogy you used before, right? About the, are you coal or are you a diamond? How often do you come across people who you know, their concerns are, well, Steve, maybe I'm not a diamond. I'm not sure. Like I've never, I've never tried to shine. I've never tried to put myself out there. Or um, is this going to work for me? Because I'm quite frankly, I'm just not that good at sales. Like I'm not a salesperson. I hear that all the time. And everyone's always selling, right? You're selling your spouse on what you're having for dinner. You're selling people on what movie you're going to watch. Everyone's always selling, but people don't really see it that way. So I'm curious kind of what are the main sort of we'll call it the nonsense i was going to swear for a minute but what are the main kind of nonsense things that people say to you that you just think that's just so not right well it's the interesting thing is they don't know what they don't know and they 90 yeah. percent of professionals and and other businesses out there suffer from what i call the brown box syndrome they call themselves the same as everybody else if they're a coach a consultant a trainer they call themselves a coach a consultant a trainer and, but it's not until they unwrap the box, there could be some awesome, there should, could be gold inside. But if they're sitting on the shelf, the same as everybody else, then quite often it just comes down to hours and price because yeah. that's all they, they think. And most people don't think that they do things differently, but, but generally they do. And it comes down to them feeling that but if I stand out, it's the imposter syndrome and the biggest thing that um, your listeners can take away from this 
is everybody is trying to put the pressure on them, say, look, you need 10,000 hours to become an expert and you need all these degrees and qualifications. Well, you may need that to become an expert, but the difference is an expert knows something, but an authority is known for something. Now, I had a guy just yesterday. He was on a call and he, he came to me and he, he saw me talk, and it was a three-minute talk, and he said, I love what you did, and I was talking about the buying energy. And he said, I'm a XYZ coach. And he'd only been that coach for a while, but he developed a, a great system, a program, and a process that was helping people. And he was calling himself the brown box, the coach. And mm-hmm. we turned it around and said, well, how are you really helping people? What if we titled you by this? And he stood out. And what if instead of having that dreaded discovery call, which everybody now knows it's a sales call, we called mm-hmm. it this. He was a relationship coach. Um, and we called it a, a, just tossing ideas around a relationship ignition call because he was there not to help broken relationships but to get the passion back after COVID. And it was all hidden. So most people have those, have the hidden diamonds. Now, if you've ever seen a mind diamond, mm. it, it really is still pretty damn ugly. It's not until you shave off a few of the edges that it becomes absolutely spectacular. Most people are hidden diamonds. They're not coal after all. But when you just shave a few things off, something spectacular happens. And that was a 15-minute conversation. We turned around his his pitch for networking, we start working in two weeks, but he's already got something to walk away with to start changing his business. And most people are like that, just being able to really pull out what is it that you really do, not what is your category or title. And that's the biggest thing that we work with people that makes a massive difference and it virtually costs nothing to do. I love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it. There's lots of great lots stuff, of great in, there. stuff let's, in there. Let's dive into it as much as we can. But Ken, I mean, I'm curious. Same question for you, my my friend. I mean, I can knowing marketing a little bit. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure you're hearing. Well, I've tried Facebook ads and they don't work for me. And is it worth spending money on marketing? I tried an agency once and it was rubbish. You know what? What's what are you hearing most often, and how are you kind of overcoming those? Yeah. Well, I, you know, let me let me just address that last one that you said. Most agencies are rubbish. The the, the reality is the marketing industry as a whole has devolved into a commodity sales industry where they're selling this commodity called marketing, but they're not doing actual marketing. They're selling tactical uh, execution on a particular platform or in a particular way. I'll write your blog post. I'll do this. I'll run your Facebook ad, your Instagram ad, your YouTube, whatever, right? Marketing requires, in my opinion, strategy. If you and I were to go to Coca-Cola or Nike or Intel or any fortune level organization and we were to say, hey, I'm just cold calling to see if you want to run some Google ads. (laughs) Yeah. Right? They'd, They'd look at us like we were complete idiots. Because we would be complete idiots. But the reality is the small business owner has been trained by this industry to pull out their credit card and waste money over the phone with a guy who has no idea 
whether or not what he's pitching you over the phone is good for you or not. And that's the real issue here. The real issue is the industry has trained the business owner to make bad strategic decisions. It even goes, and it goes even further than that. I hear business owners all the time tell me, well, Ken, you know, I'm going to my Facebook agency or my AdWords agency or my SEO agency, and I'm asking them, well, what should we do? And they then ask me, well, you tell me what we should do. <laughs> There's an old uh, uh, biblical proverb. Uh, if a blind man leads a blind man, they'll both fall into a pit. And then you wonder mm -hmm. why 65% of small businesses close within their first five years of operations here in the States. Mm, and it's sad because if you think about it, it's kind of the, you know, it's a small business. Most most people are kind of like, let's get some sales in. Let's let's use our low-hanging fruit. And now we've, once we've got some money in, now we can get a marketing agency on board to take us to that next level. And if the vast majority of the agencies are just essentially give me the money and I'll burn it for you, um, you'd have probably been better taking that $10,000 you spent on the marketing agency and buying your existing customers gifts and getting them to just do word of mouth recommendations and testimonials rather than let's throw it at some Facebook ads and chase people around the internet before we've even got our message straight. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and, and let's even go the, the next step further with that, Phil. I want you to imagine that you walk into your bank, mm -hmm. okay? And you walk up to the teller and you ask the teller, hey, I'd like to get uh, a thousand pounds out, right? And they say, well, we don't know if we can do that. Uh, let's check your let's check your balance. And they they pull up on their computer and they type something in. Well, sir, we just don't know what your balance is right now. You'll have to come back later. We would say that's utterly insane. Yeah, but that's how most marketing works. The simple reality is, I know very very few organizations that know what their cost of acquisition is. Mm. They know they don't know the basics when it comes to doing the activities they're doing. And now if this were in the operations front, they would see it right in front of them because their customers would yell at them. Yeah. But on the marketing front, they're silently burning tens of thousands of dollars and they're just wasting money because quote unquote experts are giving them bad advice. And so what's an, down a path. what's an example of that done right then? So there's plenty yeah. of agencies messing people about. They then come to you. How are you going to fix that mess for people? What, what is it so, that you do differently? So here's what we do is we first start with understanding what actually exists in this organization. And from there, we want to understand what is your positioning and what are your organizational strengths in the marketplace, mm. right? If, if we were to say, for example – what is it that you bring to the marketplace that is actually unique? I ask almost every person we work with that question. It takes nearly an hour in most cases for them to find something that is truly unique because most businesses don't know. And, and so, Steve, when you talk about this, this, you know, brown box, the reality is, is you are so dead on because people are wrapping themselves the same way. Well, we're, we're like Jim down the street, right? And, and so we've got to start with understanding what is it that makes you, you, and why should people do business with you? In other words, positioning. We've got to position the organization. And then, and this is the critical step that gets missed a lot, then we have to validate that positioning. 
It's not enough for you to say, oh, we've got a great position here. We need to go to the market and ask the market because we're good capitalists. Do you want this? And if the market does want it, then we plow ahead and we say, look, let's put systems in place. Let's put capture systems and nurture systems and onboarding systems and wow systems and upsell systems and referral systems. Let's put all the systems in place. Let's put attraction systems in place. But until you validate with the market, Mm. anything that you do that's spending money to go out to people is pure guesswork. Mm. And that's, that's the secret here. Validate with your actual market. And then if they say, yes, you have, you know, our problem, you can, we want to pay to solve the problem. We're willing to work with you to solve the problem, right? Then start the marketing process because now, you know, you're not going to be wasting money because they're telling you, here's how to reach me. Here's how to talk to me. Here's the language that I use. And here's the real problems that I have. And you can connect with me and help me solve them. Steve, how does that play in your world then? Because obviously if you're helping people stop being that brown box, right? And, and obviously Ken's just very eloquently put it there, you know, that most people don't even know. It takes them more than an hour to think of something that's unique for them. Once you've done that, how much how much validation is there from that side in terms of going to market to test that this new, I don't know what we call it, well, you're not a brown box anymore, you're a diamond box, right? So now you've got your diamond, you're going to go out there and, and talk to the market how do you make sure that the market's resonating with that new way of describing yourself? Well, one of the best ways <clears throat> is if they're going to buy it. The validation is in the till. It's in the cash that's, that's coming through. And it's a matter of the positioning, the packaging, the promote and, and ca- capture, which is when I work with people that are, that are like Ken and the teams mm-hmm. to be able to um, amplify to take that out there and to capture. But I was just listening to, to Ken talk about the, the marketing industry and I feel exactly the same way about the sales training industry. Nothing has changed in that in the last 20, 30, 40 years. And you'll hear most sales trainers get out there and say, I'm going to help you overcome objections. I'm going to help you develop this great pitch. I'm going to help you do this, this and this. And been working with some you know, great cognitive neuroscientists over the last number of years and I've actually come up with the three levels of influence and unfortunately most sales trainers teach the lowest level of influence which is imposed influence I'm going to give you the pitch I'm going to tell you why I'm the right person and why I'm going to solve your problems but the next level is the collaborative influence and that's one that we spend a lot of time with our prospects and people on and when we've created their their blueprint, we collaborate on the solutions, et cetera, uh, as Ken's working with theirs. But the next level is a great way of being able to get them to ask you to buy, which is the self-influence. And the exact same thing at the exact right time yesterday, around about the 20-minute mark in the conversation, this person said, Steve, this is all awesome. Nobody's ever said that. I can see it working. What are the next steps to get started? Hmm. And I We've all dealt with a lot of people that are professionals. They sell their knowledge, their skills, their expertise. They're selling themselves. Mm. And they are the people who hate selling themselves mm-hmm. because it's personal. They'll tell you, I can sell somebody else's stuff 10 times better than I can sell my own because it's personal. But the sales trainers come in and say, I'm going to show you how to sell yourself better. 
but I don't want to do that. I hate it, but I'm going to show you how to sell yourself better. It's like going, <laughs> you know, a person saying, I'm going to teach you how to jump out of an airplane. I don't want to jump out of an airplane, but I'm going to give you the best fancy parachute. I don't want to jump out of an airplane, but I'm going to teach you how to do backflips. I'm scared and I don't want to jump out of an airplane. Aren't you listening? And the sales trainers aren't listening where we take them through the process and develop their system, their unique, their blueprint, and they're actually selling the system, not themselves. And mm. when they learn, I don't have to say at the end of a conversation anymore virtually, hey, I'm good by me, you know, we've collaborated. This solution is going to deliver these awesome results. Does it make sense we implement it? The, ah, it's an actual breakthrough mm. in taking the stress away and because they've collaborated with you and a lot of the solutions are theirs, and one of the best things that people can do in a sales situation is remember this one thing. When they are involved, they invest. So mm. instead of doing a pitch at them, it's let's create this together. And because they've been heavily involved in saying yes, then does it make sense we get started? Yes then there are no more objections and objections mm. an opportunity to say no. There may be just some obstacles. Then you just continue the collaboration to work through whatever it is and you get away from uh, convincing people and converting them to just confirming what the transformation are, what the value is and what are the next steps. And when people learn that there is a new way of selling without having to sell yourself but take them through a process where they say, hell, that makes sense. I really do need to do this. Mm. It's, uh, it's a big thing. And so, you know, Ken's battling the, uh, the marketing industry doing the old school, let me take your money and waste it for you. And I'm battling the, the, the sales trainers that are saying, I'm going to create a whole heap of stress around you having to sell yourself. It's fat. What you've just said is fascinating because I, I was, I was even sitting. I'm, I'm always like very vulnerable on the podcast, right? I always share them. I've just seen a lot of myself in that conversation. So now, I don't like selling myself, but thankfully, I've kind of. We now sell the systems. We talk about the results. It's a very engaged conversation. Where is it you're trying to get to? Let's use some examples. Where how are you going to get here? And we guide them through. And what you actually said the very phrase I hear 99% of the time. So what's the next step? And at that very moment, every time I go, uh, buy our stuff, I guess. Um, and, it, and, and it's the one part of the conversation that doesn't feel like the rest because the rest of it is me getting all pumped up and excited talking about the results and what we do and how it's going to work and learning from them and seeing how it's all going to fit in. And then that's the only bit that's like, the, well, let's get the credit card out. And I, I, again, I don't enjoy that bit. That's the bit that I look at and go, well, yeah, so if it sounds good, buy the stuff. It, it makes it easy. It makes it just a beautiful conversation because in, in our process, they've come to you excited to talk to you, mm. not thinking they're going to get on a sales call because we, we teach people to, to turn the call into something that is perceived high value. And when you're looking yeah. at the buying energy, if somebody's getting on a discovery call, then people know it's a sales call. Sooner or later, you're going to be pitched at and I'm getting on a free discovery call and the value of free is zero. Yeah. So it's like, well, it's a chance for you to tell me how good you are and why I should give you some money. Where in our process, we say, well, what is the highest value of a call you could add? 
And in one of the things that I do, instead of a discovery call, it's a prominence and persuasion review. How are you actually standing out in the marketplace and what is your actual sales process? And think, well, if I'm going to have that reviewed, I'm actually going to walk away with some value. I'm excited to learn about that. I'm excited to have my thing reviewed. And it's like, well, I'm looking forward to it. And by turning that around, people are having greater success. The energy at the beginning of the call is so much higher and the collaborative energy really takes a whole new path. And the little tweaks like that make a massive difference in, uh, in the whole process. And that's like Ken with his engine. You know, the little tweaks of being able to enhance the buyer experience and be able to um, lead them down the track of being excited, staying, increasing retention and then increasing referrals. Ken's engine will drive all that seamlessly and uh, they fit perfectly together. I love that. Love it. I want to ask for an example because I always ask, like asking these questions because when I think about mine, it's you. Th- I mean, some people would think that it's always the biggest results that you get would be your favorite, but I don't know about you, but they're not my favorite. My favorite are the ones where you take somebody that didn't feel that they could do this and then you give them a system and a process and they absolutely smash it. So um, you've been in the, uh, this for a very long time, both of you. I mean, Steve, I'll come to you first, but I'd love to hear an example of where somebody was when they came to you roughly what it was that you did with them to get them to that point and then what they achieved off the other end of that. I'll give you two examples at at opposite ends of the spectrum. And when I was first putting the whole system together, I ran some masterminds and a young, I think she might've just turned 20. um, She was Muslim. She had the the head piece on. She came, we're at the point of building the blueprint and then selling it to other people in the mastermind. And as she was building it, and she was a life coach, she hadn't even sold her first program. She was giving them away because she didn't have the confidence to sell them and she was just giving them away for experience and testimonies. And as we mm. were building it, she just she was almost in tears. She said, oh, my, St- my God, Steve, this is exactly what I do. I can tell people now what I do and how I can get the results. And then the afternoon session was selling it. She says, it was, she said, this is so empowering. I don't have to try and sell myself anymore. And this was in a city called Brisbane, which is an hour and a half away from where I lived. By the time I got off the plane in Sydney, I had a message that she sold her first two high ticket items mm-hmm. by using a rough, ugly, hand-drawn blueprint. <laughs> and it just made such a massive difference. And then on the other end of the scale, one of my great friends, he called himself a web and an app developer. And at the time, he was competing with the offshore market, you know, right. trying to sell hundreds of websites for just a few hundred dollars. And he was struggling. He was really working hard. But what we uncovered, what he did, he actually sat down with the business and uncovered what it was that they needed as a business tool. And he went through that. And I, we went through our process to uncover his uniqueness. I said, so you're not a web and an app developer. You're a digital business strategist. And he said, yeah. So we rearranged his, his language around his positioning, which elevated him in the marketplace. But then his packaging, and you've met lots of web and app developers and people who build things. You know, they'll talk about hours of building this and tech and APIs and logins this and plugins that. And you're basically buying a digital box of nuts and bolts that you could take to the next person and say, hey, this guy's going to sell me this digital box of nuts and bolts. What's your price? Can you better it? 
So we repackaged it as the um, like as the starter platform, the growth platform, the entrepreneurs platform, and and he was selling the outcome. They were basically all the same. They had a conversation. They built it. He added an extra six figures in six months with no extra work except change the position and change the packaging. And that's Beautiful. the difference that that makes by standing out in the marketplace and say, you're a digital business strategist. I'm probably going to expect to pay more than a web and an app developer. So people were coming expecting to pay and now he starts at a hundred grand. It's the psychological triggers, isn't it? They're so important. Yeah. Yeah, and it all comes. I mean, I love that word perception. I, I I love talking about perception because somebody's perceived value in the market is so so powerful, and the perception essentially is it 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 dictates the position that they come into the conversation with it, doesn't it? What's the three P's you said before with the with the perception? Uh it's actually your perceived position predicts your profits. Oh, so it's four Ps. Yeah, see, I like that. But it's true, isn't it? Because if somebody comes into the market, into a conversation, and they don't think that you're, you know, I saw your thing, let's have a chat, I'll, I'll compare some prices, well, they're going to get three or four quotes, and they're going to go with the one that makes the most sense. Whereas if you're seen as the standout person in your industry because of the way that you've positioned yourself, and that's your percep- the perception of you within that space, it's a completely different conversation. Yeah, I love that. Completely. Absolutely. Love it. Ken, what about you, my friend? I know you've got stories out the nose. Man, there's there's so many. You know, I uh, I have uh, a guy who came to me. He was actually one of my college professors. Okay. Oh, really? This, and good. this is good. He uh, he had a little coaching business. They were doing maybe I don't know ten fifteen thousand a month. Right. We're now on pace for over a million dollars in in sales this year. With expansion already set for three million for next year. Beautiful. But here's the cool thing. What he does is he works with uh, he works with couples. He has a a success rate of preventing divorce of ninety five percent. And so so what's so incredible about this? Look, we've put some systems in place and we've we've helped them keep moving forward. But what's exciting is not the million dollars. What's exciting is all of the families that that million dollars represents being together. That's what's so exciting to me. Yeah, it, maybe there's something wrong with me that I instantly didn't see it that way and just thought about the cost of divorce. <laughs> so I was like, he's made a million dollars, but realistically, this would have cost X amount in divorce fees and settlement and giving them half the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and th- and that's the thing is. You know, I mean, there's a lot of different ways we, we've looked at positioning this. Um, cost of divorce is certainly a thing, but, you know, e- even that cost in comparison to what does it do to your kids? What does it do to to the next generation and, and their kids and how they, they perceive relationships, et cetera, and so forth? Like, um, it, it's it's a pretty cool thing, and it's you know it's a total for profit business. We work with a lot of nonprofits, but this is a total for profit business, and they're just crushing it. Mm. I absolutely love that dude, and it sounds so powerful. I mean, it would have been better, I suppose, if you'd have done this for him while he was still your professor, because I imagine that would have impacted your grades in a really positive way. I I imagine it would have, though. Though I don't think fifteen years ago I had the expertise. <laughs> it's a good point. 
It's a good point. But you know, you're right, though. I mean, a, a lot of the time, um, you know, I remember we did this with a search business. So I think both of you know, I used to own an executive search firm. And the way that we used to position it was twofold. We used to position it, yes, because we did a lot of technical sales. We talk about the difference between hiring an average salesperson and hiring a good salesperson and how much that could make your business. But then on the flip side of the screen, we'd also have all the cost of hiring the wrong person and needing to pay additional recruitment fees. This is how much it costs to train someone. This is how much it costs to get rid of them. This is the salary you've paid during this process. This is the fee you've paid the recruiter. And you'd make it so it was such a no-brainer of a decision before the time they even got on the phone to you. It's like, yes, I want a top person, but I don't just want a top person because it's good for my business. I want a top person because if I hire cheap and I hire low, it's so much it's so detrimental and it's so expensive for my business to be able to do that. And therefore, anything you negotiate as fees, which is why in an industry that was typically charging 15 to 20 percent payment on success we were charging 20 to 25% with a retained model where you paid 50% upfront because by that point they would have done anything they wanted just to avoid that other bit. And so I can see that happening very nicely with the divorce thing. You know, it's like, and actually, you know, you, you could almost have the breakdown of here's the average cost of a divorce in the U S here's the average cost of therapy for your kids. Here's the average divorce cost. It's going to be for them in 20 years time because the likelihood of their relationships falling apart is increased to this because of your divorce. Or you could just pay this guy this amount and he could save your marriage. What do you want to do? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. That's powerful, dude. I like that story. I like it a lot. And I could see how kind of how the two of you really actually vibe together. I mean, for, obviously the audience don't know this, but all three of us collectively are, are working together. We're working individually. There's a whole lot of stuff going on here. And I can, I can, you know, even for the audience listening, hopefully you can see how well that works because everybody compliments each other. And this this right here for me is a great example of strategic alliances in the marketplace. It's not, you know, one person standing on their own saying, hey, I'm really good at my bit. It's joining together in a team collective to kind of elevate and uplift each other and compliment each other. Because, you know, Steve and Ken, the amount of times that telling your stories, you've been like, well, yeah, Ken, that back ends onto your bit. And actually, Steve, you're right. I mean, if you get that bit right, then we can do this bit. And as business owners that are listening to this, you know, you need to start thinking about two things, in my opinion. You need to start thinking about your positioning within the market and from your sales approach and what it is you're doing from your marketing. Those are two things that are, are very key for you to look at. But actually, I want you to start thinking about how often you're in isolation. Are you building your strategic alliances? Are you building a team of people around you? Uh, and I don't just mean your employees. I mean complementary businesses, people that can elevate your services, people that you can elevate theirs. Because I promise you, I mean, I'm sure the guys will, will will testify to this too. For my business, just from personal experience, it's been one of the greatest factors and tools in our success is, you know, I always say business is a team sport and it really doesn't matter how good you are at what you do. If you're not surrounded by people on the field who are equally as good at their part, you're not going to win a trophy. And I know, Ken, we've discussed that plenty. Yeah. yeah, look, absolutely. as a professional athlete, the and you know, <clears throat> again, the Olympics and anybody that gets to the top in their field these days, most of them don't have just one coach. They've all got a coach. So those who are out there that are trying to do it on their own, they don't even have one coach. Go and get somebody to work with to give you guidance because somebody on the outside looking in and giving you direction and accountability will help expand your business. But these days, now you look at the tennis players, that's yeah. one person on the court, but they've, they've got their coach, they've got their physio, they've got their trainer, they've got their uh, sports psychologist to get them to the top. 
And the other thing is what we're talking about here, the strategic partners. And back in 83, which when I set up the, the business, the best form of marketing for me was to who were the people that I could best work with to help enhance their clients. And mm-hmm. in the health and fitness industry, my best referral source and doing different, you know, the old lead boxes and all of those sorts of things and competitions was with hairdressers, nail salons and all of that because they're sitting in the chair talking to somebody for half an hour and if you work with the the owners and the uh, the hairdressers themselves and give them a great experience, they're going to be talking about it to, you know, 50 or 60 people that pass through the salon every day. It's like, well, you know, who has my people before, during or after working with we, me that's not competitive that you can enhance the experience? I work with people exactly like Ken and, and, and you, Phil, to be able to enhance the experience of the people so you look good. Mm. If I can provide a bright blue box instead of a brown box for Ken to be able to run the engine and then I can enhance and increase their conversions, the value of that person going through Ken's engine is much higher and Ken looks good. So Mm. a lot of people go to form strategic alliances and say, well, who can I suck dry for their people so I could sell to them instead of saying, how can I help you become the hero? Yeah. And I love that. that turns it all around. It makes a massive difference. You come, how can I best help you? And that really helps you build some great partnerships. Yeah. And, and that partnerships is the key word. So I, I talk about uh, the low hanging fruit in businesses being NCPs, which I call your non-competitive partners. Non-competitive partners is who works with the same audience and, and client that you want to work with that doesn't provide the same service or product upstream and downstream. Who can support each other? Who can you elevate? But the important word in what you just said is partnerships. This is not a this is not an affiliate just, hey, drive me some stuff and I'll chuck you some money. This is not a who's got a list that I can abuse and then I'll move on to the next person because that's not how partnerships work. Partnerships are, Steve, how can I help you and what would it, what is it that you'd like to do you know, to help me and how can we make each other more successful? And that for me is incredibly powerful is how can we elevate each other's audiences and help grow and cross-promote each other's businesses? And if you go into it with that mentality – you will not only have a lot of success within business, you will build a lot of very long-lasting partnership relationships with people where they want to bring you in on stuff. And let me let you in a little secret of the pros here, people. One of the things that happens when you get booked as a, as a keynote speaker is the very next question that you get asked, and Ken's nodding away because he knows what's coming. One of the very next questions you get asked is, hey, Phil, who else do you know that I should speak to because I'm still looking for speakers? Well, guess what? If you introduce your NCPs, they also introduce you, which means that now it doesn't matter who's getting the invite first because you're all getting the invitations to the ball. You're all getting that golden ticket to invited to the, the ch- chocolate factory. You're getting to speak at the big industry events. And I'm curious. I want to ask you both a number, actually, because we're getting towards the end of the podcast. But I think this will be an interesting number for everybody. Um, Ken, just loose number. How many coaches, masterminds and mentors do you currently have on the go at the moment? That are supporting um, you. Upwards of ten, probably. Yep, love that, Steve. I'm um, four, four. Yeah, I love that. So I think I'm on about six or seven at the moment in terms of masterminds, coaches, mentors. I've got some life mentors, some people who I look to who are 
And, and listen, this is the thing about, about business. Like, Steve, you just hit the nail on the head. There are some people that don't even have one coach yet, right? But what fascinates me is that even the people that do start to get one or two coaches in place, they only think about it in terms of their business. I have mentors and coaches who are there because they're incredible husbands and incredible fathers, and they're the people that I would like to be to my children. Um, so I want to learn how to be I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better person. I want to be more spiritually connected. I want to be healthier. I want to be happier. I want to be a, a good husband, a good father. It's not just about business and it's not just about money. There's you know, there's every aspect of my life. I have at least one coach or mentor to help me through that period, usually several. And again, there's another really important factor here. If anybody's listening to this thinking, you know what, I'm sat listening to these podcasts to try and learn these golden nuggets and grow my business. But you're calling me out a little bit here, Phil. I don't really have any of these coaches and mentors. May I suggest that you start there because your, you know, your vibe attracts your tribe. See who you resonate with. See who's going to be able to elevate you to that next level and just draw up a list of these people who could help you get to that next level. Which areas of your life and your business would you like to take to the next level and then go about finding someone that can support you with that? The interesting thing, um, and for years I've been working on the four Bs to be successful at life and business, and a lot of people just focus just on the actual business. And as you said, they only get their coaching for their business. But the four Bs are in order of um, priority, brain, body, brand, business. Now, brain is your mindset. What is your mindset day to day and and what's your attitude towards life, towards business? and relationships body you've got to look after yourself you've got to be in the best physical optimum shape that you can be for life to get most out of life and also if you fall apart so does your business brand your own personal branding whether it's within the the household whether it's out there in the community whether it's in business what is your personal brand who are you what are you known for and then when you get those three right it's the business what have I got to do to to enhance the business? So they're the four Bs that I I work on: the brain, body, brand, and business. I love the fact that you've got some alliteration for everything. I th- I, th- I swear to God, I think if you ever did like a recipe book, it would all just be alliteration. Like this is what you do, and these would be the entire recipe using the same letter. Maybe you should do that. Maybe you should do an A to Z recipe book where you've just got to use alliteration for every step for each recipe. Like this is the A recipe. <laughs> Well, I, I do that on purpose. <clears throat> and when I was um, going through the P's uh, for my yeah. first book, I spent hours in the thesaurus and writing them down. I think I came up with 97 power P words. And then mm-hmm. when my wife and I were setting up Expertise Empire, we thought, well, what are we got to do for the E words? And end up with 135 power E words. So it's not by accident. No, it's I'm a sad puppy and I spend – a lot of time in a physical <laughs> turn the page thesaurus to yeah. be able to look up and be able to have them at my disposal. And when people think, how do you come up with all of those words? Yeah, I'm a sick puppy. I spent a lot of time in this crazy book. It's good though, because they're, they're, they're extremely memorable. And that's what I love yeah. about them. And that they, they, that's why they have such a lasting impact on people. Yeah. Guys, I've really enjoyed this. I mean, we could go full Joe Rogan on this show and just spend several hours talking about these topics, couldn't we? But I want to be uh, respectful of everybody's time. Before we go, Ken, um, I know you were a man of action. How should people get in contact with you? And, and what is it you'd like to? Uh, what is it you'd like them to do? Actually, how do the, you want them to get in touch with you? Yeah, the, well, there's a couple of things. I imagine in the show notes they'll be able to. If you've got those, you downloaded a podcast, you'll be able to uh, grab my booking link right from there. 
If you're listening on the radio, you can go to thepreparedgroup.com and you can uh, book a call right there off the homepage. Uh, sit down with us. Let's figure out what's going on, what's working, what's not working, and understand how can we put a strategic path forward for you to double, triple, or even quadruple your business by the end of the year. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. And absolutely, they will be in the show notes below. And for the radio guys, it's all there. Ken, thank you for spelling that out. If not, you should make your way over to the website and listen to this stuff anyway, because it's all going to be on there. So you can always revisit it. My suggestion would be that you listen to this podcast episode a couple of times, actually, because there's some serious golden nuggets in here. Steve, what about you, my friend? Mate, if they're listening to this podcast, they're very intelligent people because they're hanging around you. And most importantly, I want to give them a great gift for getting to this part of the show, which is actually my back pocket guide to self-selling secrets. It's a very simple document that takes them through, but there's also some video training in there as well. So it's almost like a workshop in a book. And they've just got to go to my website or just click on the link, which is stevebrossman.com and then forward slash self-sell. For self-selling secrets. So stevebrosman.com forward slash self-sell. It will be in the notes and there'll be lots of different options that they'll be able to uh, connect with me there. But that would be the great start and a great gift to think, okay, what is it that I could do and take away from this podcast and implement it directly in the business? And there's going to be an opportunity in there if they look at it and they think, yeah, I may need a hand on this or I can have a discussion. They can actually book in for one of those prominence and performance reviews, prominence and persuasion reviews. So I can actually have a look at how they're standing out, whether they are a brown box or not, and what their sales process is and if they're really stressed about selling themselves. So that's a great start to uh, have a taste, have a gift, and then get started on their own journey. Brilliant. And thank you for including the gift. And as you can tell people, charm and flattery get you absolutely everywhere. Um, so you should do that but no on a serious note you should definitely check out the show notes below both these guys are absolute masters in their field they're excellent at what they do um, there's a real opportunity there for you to to have a good read have a good look book it a conversation with both i would highly recommend you do so if you're serious about taking your business to that next level um, as i mentioned earlier we're all working together in some form or another collectively which i absolutely love and by that i don't just mean we're referring business to each other we're actually doing each other's services as well which i think is really powerful um, you know, we, we practice what we preach here and, uh, we can all speak from experience to say this is going to take you to the next level. So gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really hope the audience have enjoyed it, taking away loads and loads of, uh, golden nuggets. I, for one, have taken loads of notes in this podcast and I know I'll be re-listening to it back too. Um, be sure to share this with somebody else. If you know some entrepreneurs in the space, it's been difficult after COVID businesses are bouncing back. If you know some people that need to hear this. Uh, and you, they need this advice to take them to the next level. Be a good friend, be a good colleague, and share that with some people as well. And uh, until next time, take care of yourselves, and we'll see you there. Cheers. You are listening to Billionaires in Boxes, the number one podcast publicist for businesses globally. 